doing a lot of promising lately. Um, every morning, my little boy Aiden will uh, say, is today the day we open our presents? And I'll say, no, Aiden, not today, but I promise it's coming. The next day, it's the same thing. Today is the day we get to open our presents. No, no, not today. It's still four more days, three more days, two more days. And I have to keep saying, I promise, I promise it's going to happen. And he says, you promise? I say, yes, I promise it'll, it'll happen. And he goes over and he looks at the presents under the tree and he picks one up and he, he shakes it, you know, and he'll even bring it over to us. Uh, he'll find us somewhere in the house and he'll bring us the present and say, this is my present. And then I'll say, yes, yes, it's your present. You promise I get to open it? Yes, I promise. So I've been doing a lot of promising uh, around our house lately, and I'm sure you parents have uh, done your share of that too. And it's hard for the little ones, isn't it? They see all these presents under the tree. Uh, They know that it's for them, and they know they have to wait. And it's hard. It's brutal. We're terrible, awful parents for making them wait till Christmas Day to open their gifts because they know it's there for them. They know it's theirs to claim and to receive, but they just can't get to it yet. And it's hard. And the thing is, it's not just kids that that kind of thing is hard for. None of us enjoy waiting. Like That's never our prayer. Oh, Lord, I, I pray that you would just make it possible for me to wait and wait and wait and wait on everything you have for me. Nobody prays that. You know, It's very difficult for any of us to wait, especially when it comes to promises that we know are ours. When we know there are are promises of God that we see in his word, we know that it's there and we believe in the promises, but maybe we just haven't seen it come about completely in whatever case that might be, whatever that thing is that you've been praying about or seeking or hoping comes about, um, or at different times in your life where there's something that you're really just asking God for, and you believe in his faithfulness, you believe in his word, but it just hasn't happened yet, and you know how hard it is to wait for those things. It's hard to wait. It's hard to wait, especially for promises. And when those promises are things that you need and things that you really want to see happen, it it makes it very difficult indeed. That's what makes the person we're going to talk about today as we continue in our Wonder of Christmas series and talk today about the Wonder of Promise, that's what makes this person's story and experience so incredible because of how long he waited for the promise he believed in. The person I'm talking about is an old man named Simeon. Simeon. And we're introduced to him in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. We're going to jump right in, so I invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word, whether digital or paper form, and uh, we'll jump in on this together. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. The Word of God says this, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. Tells us something about his character right there. Waiting, this righteous and devout man named Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. I love that word, consolation. That's such a good word. It means comfort. It means encouragement. It means helping, coming alongside, saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And we all know the power in being comforted. 
all of us at some point have been consoled by someone, right? And chances are you've also been someone that has had a chance to console someone and you know uh, the encouragement that you're able to provide and when people are going through a hard time, a difficult set of circumstances and you're able to come alongside and say, it's okay, it will be okay, I'm here for you, let me comfort you, let me encourage you, it's a sweet thing. And this man, Simeon, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and Israel certainly needed that. They were under the iron fist of Rome, often experienced cruelty from them, and they had been in and out of slavery for most of their existence. They had had a hard history, and so they needed consolation. But what Simeon knew was that the consolation that he needed, the consolation his people needed, was not going to be provided in any political person, any movement of a political group. It wasn't going to be found in things, in finding more stuff to fill his life with. It wasn't going to be found in other people, in the relationships that he might have had. And we don't know a lot about Simeon. I mean, this is really all we know is that he's an older man waiting for this consolation. And we know what we see here in just a little bit that happens. But as far as his backstory, his origin story, we don't know anything. But I'm guessing he probably had family in some form. But he wasn't waiting for them to provide consolation. He was waiting for one and only source of consolation that he knew had been promised to him and and every other person in Israel for centuries through all the different prophecies about this coming Messiah, God's anointed one, the hope of Israel, the hope of the world. That's who he was waiting for. That's what he was waiting for. And we can learn something from that. We can learn something from Simeon's waiting. Because often we settle for second or third or fourth best for the source of our consolation. We often settle. We hold out only so long. We fill our minds and our hearts with things, hoping to be consoled by those things, when in reality, it only leaves us empty. My friends, the consolation that we all need, that we all long for, that deep, lasting comfort, the hope that we chase after and come up empty so often in our search for, the satisfaction and fulfillment that we all want and that we all need, lasting hope, joy that lasts beyond happiness. It's not going to be found in anything under the tree. As we go to the tree on Christmas morning, we open gifts and and experience all that. It's not going to be found in that. It's not going to be found in anything No matter how special that thing might be or how wanted that thing might be, it's not going to be found there. No matter what you get on Christmas morning, children, adults, no matter what we get and no matter how thrilling it might be in the moment or in that day or even beyond, there will come a point where the thrill will fade. We're not going to find fulfillment in that. We're not going to even find fulfillment in our relationships. 
As special as our loved ones are for us, as important as family is, our family cannot fully fulfill. It's never going to happen. And at some point, we all have the ability to let each other down, don't we? We can all disappoint each other, and we can do it in spectacular fashion. Our joy and our hope and our purpose and our comfort isn't going to be found out in doing more, you know, working harder and doing more in our job or finding fulfillment in hobby or entertainment. Now, none of those things are, are bad or wrong or evil in and of themselves. I like gifts and I like giving gifts. I love Christmas morning. I love my family. I like relationships and, and the encouragement I can draw from that and the comfort that they can provide. I like having a purpose in what I do. So all those things are good. But any time we elevate any of those things to the place of absolute fulfillment or trying to find our our ultimate comfort from any of those things, it will not work. We're only going to find true consolation, lasting consolation in the person of the Lord Jesus, in the promise of Christ. That's what Simeon believed, and that's what he was holding out for. He looked back over Israel's history, and I believe this man who was righteous and devout, he knew the word of God and he believed it. I believe that he would understand, at least to some point and to some degree, the promises about Messiah that God had placed all through his word, and he believed it, and that's what he decided was going to be his anchor. And that's what he was waiting for, the promise of the ultimate consolation in the coming of the Messiah. Well, not only was he righteous and devout, not only was he waiting for this this ultimate consolation promised to Israel, but here's what else it says about him, verse 25, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. That's significant. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that was upon him, that marked his life, that guided and directed him, that controlled his his every desire and that Simeon had obviously devoted himself to and surrendered his mind and his heart to. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. What a promise, right? Verse 27, guided by the Spirit, it wasn't just coincidence. He didn't just randomly wander into this situation that we're going to read about in just a second. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. You know, people that walk with God, recognize the work of God? Do you believe that? People that walk with God recognize the work of God. That means then for us that we have to be walking with God in step with him to be able to recognize what he's doing in our lives or in the world. You want to see what God's up to? You want to see God at work? You need to walk with him. You need to deliberately, intentionally be in step with his steps. So often, 
Um, I have at some point in my life said this, and I've heard this from other people. I just wish I could see what God was doing. I just wish I could, I could understand his plan or his purpose or the way in which he's working. And a good follow-up question to that statement is, okay, yeah, but are you walking consistently with him day in and day out? Are you walking with the Spirit of God moment by moment? Are you allowing him to lead you moment in, moment out, experience in and experience out, situation after situation? Is he dictating and directing your steps? Or are you trying to do that on your own? Or are you letting other things or other people do that? Because you have to be walking with God closely to be able to recognize the way he's working. Simeon shows us that. Also in verse 27, he's guided by the Spirit. He enters the temple. And at just that moment, right as he's coming into the temple, look who comes in. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to perform for him what was customary under the law. So the Spirit, which was already upon Simeon, already directing his life, guided him to the temple at precisely the right time that Mary and Joseph come into the temple bringing baby Jesus to observe the necessary sacrifices under the law of Moses now that Mary's had her child. Coincidence? Sure. Yeah. Just good timing, right? No, of course not. Divinely orchestrated. This was a God moment, a God appointment. Look what happens next. Verse 28, Simeon took him, the baby Jesus, up in his arms, praised God and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. See, Simeon's story right here and what he's saying and just this little bit that we know about him, it reminds us that God's timing is often different from ours, but it will always be exactly the right time. It will always be the perfect time. God's timing will always be perfect, even if it's different from ours. And though it's often hard to see, and I'm the first one to admit that it is, it will always be true that God is at work while we wait. God is always at work while we wait. And that's hard to believe and to experience while you're waiting. Whatever it is you're waiting for, whatever it is that that you've been asking God to do his work in, that you know only he can do. And, and maybe the answer that you've gotten is, I hear you, but wait. And that's hard to hear. And it's hard to go through. But Simeon shows us, through a life that was lived in faithfulness and in devotion to God, a life lived of, uh, in service and in obedience and in worship, He shows us that it is possible to still, by faith, recognize that God is at work even while you're waiting, even if you don't see it. And we know that all through God's Word. We know that all through biblical history and human history, that that over and over again, while people are waiting for God to work, He is working. 
behind the scenes. He's working his plan in, in a perfect way that only he can. And in his time, he reveals it. We see that, and we need to remember that, that God is at work while we wait. He goes on in, in his prayer of praise and his statement uh, of God keeping his promise and is recognizing that this promise has been fulfilled. He says this, verse 31, speaking of the salvation that his eyes have seen. You have prepared it. See, there's deliberateness, there's intentionality. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. The light of salvation in the face of Christ. The Messiah, right there in front of him. This older man, and I know it doesn't say his age and it doesn't explicitly call him old, but we can infer that certainly because of how long he had been waiting and, and the promise about him not seeing death until, until he saw the Messiah. And now he says, okay, I'm ready. You can let me depart in peace now. I'm ready to go. My failing eyes have now seen the Messiah and my faith has now been made sight. I'm ready to go. And thank God for such amazing grace that the promise of Jesus and the restoration and rescue that he provides was not limited to the house of Israel. Even though he was sent specifically to them. I mean, Jesus was a Jewish Messiah and he came specifically to Israel to be their Messiah, but he wasn't limited to Israel. The promise of Messiah wasn't just for them. It was for us too. And that shows us, that reminds us that the power of the gospel and of God's love breaks through every barrier there is. Ephesians 2 talks about the fact that before Christ's coming, the Gentiles were outside of God. They were outside of his, his plan of redemption. They, they didn't have the opportunity to know him the way Israel did. But when Jesus came, he united the two peoples into one in himself. And he tore down the wall of hostility. Praise God that this promise of rescue and restoration and redemption that we all need wasn't just limited to Israel. Simeon was a man that obviously looked back on all those earlier promises of God about his coming Messiah. And he, he shows us that he eagerly waited for that day. It wasn't just sitting idly by. He eagerly waited for the day when all of his faith would be made sight. But it's also obvious from what Scripture says here in just this little passage that he faithfully lived for and served God while he waited. He was righteous and devout. It means he determined to live for God. He, he pursued God. He was one who sought after him in all that he did while he waited. And then finally one day he experienced the wonder of that promise being fulfilled. Church, it should be the same for us. It should be the exact same practice for us. We can look back on the first advent of Jesus and believe that he was who he said he was, the one, the only divine Savior sent by his Father to rescue us from sin and judgment. That's what Christmas is. It's celebrating the first advent. It's looking back and saying, yes, he came. He really came. The Messiah came. You know the, the Christmas song that we often sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel? You know the song? It's one of my favorite Christmas songs. I love it. 
And what we can be sure of in that song, the longing that is expressed, is that he came. He really did come. Emmanuel came. God with us came. And and we can look back and see that. We can believe it. We can say, yes, he is the promised one. Yes, Jesus came. The Messiah came. I believe in him. I believe in his coming. And like Simeon, We also wait for the future fulfillment of promise. Just like Simeon looked back on all those old prophecies and and believed that the the promise would be fulfilled and he looked forward to when that was actually going to happen, we too can look ahead and wait for the fulfillment of the promise of Jesus' second advent and his return and looking for the day when our faith too will be made sight. Philippians 3.20 says this, Our citizenship, this is those that are in Christ, is in heaven. We're citizens of heaven, dual citizenship, citizens of earth and citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. My question to all of us is this, are we eagerly waiting for the return of Christ? Is that just something that we know theologically is going to happen? Do we, we just accept intellectually, okay, as he came, we, we can look historically and see in Scripture that Jesus came, all right, I accept that, that's fact. And I also can see that the promise is for him to come back again, and, and I accept that as fact. Is that the limit of our understanding of his return? Or are we, like Simeon, eagerly and expectantly waiting to see the appearance of our Lord and Savior? See, I don't believe Simeon just kind of, in the back of his mind, believed that one day the Messiah would come and maybe he'd see it, but maybe not. No, I believe he expected it every moment. And he was waiting. All right, is this going to be the day? Well, it wasn't today. I, I guess it'll be tomorrow. And then when it wasn't tomorrow, I guess it'll be the next day. But he was expectant about it. This verse here tells us our citizenship is heaven and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you eagerly waiting and anticipating and expecting the return of your Savior? That needs to mark our lives, Christians. An eager expectation, an eager waiting for the appearance of our Lord and Savior from the place that through Him we already have citizenship. See, we are promised, we're promised that return will happen. And as God has always come through on every one of his promises throughout his word, throughout the story of human history, and in your own personal story and experience, the way he's always come through, there is no reason at all to think that this would be any different. Look back on your life. All the ways that God has kept his promises to you. The promises found in his word that you've been able to apply to your life. The promises he's made you personally, that he's, he's delivered on, that he's been faithful to. You look back through history and you see that over and over again. There is no instance ever of God being anything other than faithful. You'll never be able to say, oh, you were unfaithful here, God. Oh, you were unfaithful to me in this. No, never. Never once will we be able to say, you didn't come through, God. Never once will we be able to look back on our life and say, oh, there's where I was alone. Never one time. And there's no reason at all to think this promise would fail to be kept just as he's kept every other promise. 1 Thessalonians 4, 
verses 16 and 17 say this. Here's the promise of the return of Jesus that Philippians 3.20 tells us to eagerly wait for. This is the promise. You can absolutely be guaranteed of this. For the Lord himself, he's not going to send a representative, it's going to be him. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17, then we who are alive at the time of his appearing, whatever, whenever that's going to be, could be today. That'd be good, right? Would that be okay with you if we celebrated Christmas in heaven in the presence of the Savior? Wow. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be good. Could be. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them, with the dead in Christ, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Hallelujah! That's the promise for you, believer. It's going to happen. But it's important to understand something else. It's important to understand that the promises concerning Christ aren't just for the past and the future. And the promises that we look back on in, in history past and the promise of his coming and, and being able to see those prophecies, those really over 200, maybe even closer to 400 prophecies that Jesus directly fulfilled, it's great to be able to look back on that and see all those fulfillment, all those promises kept. And that should encourage us. That should fill us with hope that we can trust in the God that made those promises because every single time it was yes. The Bible tells us that in Jesus all the promises of God are yes and amen. And we can, we can agree with that. And we can say yes, in Jesus he is the ultimate fulfillment. He is the ultimate promise. And we can look back and draw strength and comfort from that. And we can look ahead in the future and say, yes, I believe all of that. I believe that Jesus will one day come for me and receive me unto himself, just like he told the original disciples. If I go away to prepare a place for you, which I'm telling you I am, I will one day come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. We can say, amen, I believe that. And that gives us a hope for the future. But it's not just the past and the future that the promises of Christ are for, that the wonder of the promise of Christ is to be experienced. It's not just the past and the future. They're also for the present. The promise of Christ, the hope of Christ, the wonder of Christ, and the wonder of the promise that surrounds him is for the present. And believer, there are, there are powerful sources of hope and encouragement for us right now, in the here and now, and in our day-to-day experience in the person of Jesus. I want you to consider this. I want to give you an example of that. Romans eight thirty-eight to 39 Paul there says this, For I am sure, I'm absolutely convinced, that neither death nor life nor angels, as powerful as they might be, nor rulers, nor things present, as tough as those present circumstances might be. And we all know life can be brutal, right? 
nor things present, nor things to come, the unknown, that, that fearful, scary unknown, and the unknown is always scary for us. I mean, that's natural. It's human to fear the unknown and what lies ahead that you can't see. Nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, verse 39, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the promise of Christ is for you here and now, right where you're at. And it should fill you with wonder in the here and in the now. And it should fill you with hope. And it should fill you with joy that far exceeds that up and down emotion of happiness. Joy is an anchor. Joy is solid. And the joy that we can know is found in a promise like that that we just read. That there is no circumstance No environment, no person, no thing that can come between the great, powerful, eternal love of a perfect and eternal God that is yours, secured for you in the person of Jesus, kept for you and in you by the Spirit of God. So what do we do with all that? That's the question. Okay, that sounds great. And that's true, and you can identify with that, and you can agree with it, and you can say, yes, amen, that's fact. But what do we do with it? I mean, what practical difference does all of that reality really make in our lives? And what should it make? What should this do in our day-to-day experience? How should this affect the way we go about life? That's really the the question we need to ask with these amazing truths. Well, I want to suggest to you two very specific practical applications of what we do with all of that. First, like Simeon, we should determine to faithfully serve and live for our Savior while we are waiting for his return. Let's worship him. Let's work for him while we're waiting for him, just like Simeon did. Here's what 2 Corinthians 7.1 says. Since we have these promises, these promises all throughout God's word, these promises directly from God to us, since we have these promises, and, and think about all that we just covered today, and that's just a small sampling of the vast promises of God to us, to you, believer. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Putting it very simply, it means this. We should be constantly, continually, intentionally, aggressively rejecting sin in all forms. That's what we do in light of these incredible promises. The promise that we know we've already received as believers, that that Jesus was sent not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. Not just for those living in the first century, but for those living in every century. And if you've been gifted with the ability to recognize who Jesus is, you've been given the gospel, you've been wakened up to your need for the Savior, and the Holy Spirit has made you alive in Christ, then rejoice and celebrate the promise of Christ that is yours. And then look ahead 
and see the future promise, that he's not just going to leave you here indefinitely on your own and you don't have the promise of what is to come. He's given you the promise of what is to come. And grab a hold of that and let that fill you with hope on the darkest of days. But in the meantime, in the nasty now and now, while you're waiting for the sweet by and by, live for him, believer. Live for him. Deny yourself. Put to death sin in in all forms, small and great. That's the first thing that we should do in response to these great promises, the wonder of promise that we see in Christ. Secondly, again, like Simeon, we have to be resolved to hold on to our hope in Jesus and in the promises of our perfect God, regardless of changes in our culture or in our emotions, or in the circumstances around us. And all those things are liquid. All those things are volatile. Circumstances change. Our emotions come and go, and they, they fluctuate, sometimes moment by moment, right? Circumstances change and can fall apart so quickly. Goodness, our family's been reminded of that very powerfully and very personally recently with my sister-in-law, Courtney. Thank you, by the way, for those of you who have been praying for her and asking me about her. Um, a lot of people are praying. She was in a car wreck last week, hit head-on. She's already been in a, in a wheelchair her whole life. Spina bifida is what she has. And so this car wreck caused incredible complications. She's been in a coma, non-responsive. Her kids are here with Grandma and Grandpa. I mean, at Christmas time. That's rough, Right? She's not able to communicate. And her husband's there going on very little sleep. Hasn't really left her side except for maybe two times. They were just getting gas. That's all they were doing, getting gas. Pulling out on the way, I think, to a Christmas play at, at Joanna's school. Is that right? Bam, hit head on. Circumstances changed just like that. And my brother-in-law, John... If his hope was tied to circumstance, if his hope was tied to the environment always being exactly what he wanted it to be, then he would be truly in absolute despair right now. But you know what? He's not. And he is an incredible example to so many people right now of what it means to truly have hope and hold on to it. To be anchored to something beyond circumstance. To be anchored to something beyond feeling. We need to be resolved to hold on to the hope we have in Jesus, believer. Not only for our own sake, although that's true, we need that, but also to communicate to everyone watching us and looking in on us, and and that happens. You don't have to be a celebrity or a political figure to have people that watch and observe your life. We all do. We all have circles of influence that we go through and walk through and live in, and people are watching. And by holding on to the hope that we profess, which we're going to see spelled out in Hebrews 10.23 in just a second, by holding on to that hope and being devoted to that and, and determining we're going to be anchored to the hope found in Jesus and the promises of a good and faithful God, that's going to speak loudly to other people. Hebrews 10.23 says this, Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without 
wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Do you believe that today? That he who promised Christ, he who promised everything about Christ, he who promised everything else that we can go into Scripture and see page after page, sentence after sentence, statement after statement of of beautiful, precious, powerful promises, that he who promised all of those things will always be faithful. Simeon experienced the wonder of promise because he experienced the person of Jesus. And he was able to recognize the person of Jesus because he was already anchored to the promise of Jesus. And he experienced that wonder. And you and I can experience that same wonder every single moment by looking at Jesus and him alone as the fulfillment of everything we need in this life and beyond. He's it. He is the only source of all that we need. He is our all in all. We need to anchor ourselves to that. And that's what needs to fill us with wonder and with awe and with joy and excitement this Christmas and December 26th and January 1st and July and every single day, every single moment. He is our all in all. Let's pray. Father, we are so distracted so much of the time with things and we look to so many other sources of hope and of promise and of fulfillment and of joy. And all those things can be fine and good and well by their own right. But but when we try to make them something they can never be, whether that's material things or a set of circumstances being just right, or people in our lives that that we love, whenever we elevate those things to the place of hope, delivering hope and providing fulfillment, giving us satisfaction, being our joy, our anchor, it will always end up in some way, in some form, leaving us empty. None of that can ever deliver. Everything we need, Father, is found in your Son, Jesus. That's why you sent him. You sent him to be the Savior that we needed from our sins that we can never save ourselves from, but you also sent him to give us life and life abundantly. And that's found in him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Period. Please help us to remember that. Help us to to be captured again, Father, by the wonder of promise. But help us to remember that that wonder, the wonder of promise, is found in the person of Jesus and Him alone. So keep us looking to Him. Keep us pursuing Him, Father. If there is anyone here today that has heard this message that doesn't know Jesus personally, then let today be the day that changes where they say to him, Jesus, I need you. I believe you did come. I believe you are who you said you were, the the one and only Savior, God's own Son. I need you in my life, and I, I want you to be my Savior. May that be what is uttered from lips today that 
have not done so before. And for those of us who have already received that wonderful promise of Jesus, we know him, he knows us, we're anchored to him, and we look ahead at his, at his coming. May we do that with eager expectation and anticipation, just like Simeon did, but may we also, like Simeon, serve you and live for you faithfully while we're waiting for that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us in all of this, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen.